the Hotel Bar Sessions, the podcast where three philosophers sit down at the end of a long conference day to chop it up at the hotel bar, which, as we all know, is where the real philosophy happens. Welcome back to another episode of Hotel Bar Sessions. I'm Rick Lee, and I'm joined by my co-hosts, Dr. Lee Johnson and Dr. Jason Reed. Today, we are talking about heroes. But before we do that, as is our custom, we're going to get some drink orders and find out what everybody's raving and or ranting about. I'll jump in first. I will have a winter lager to drink. And today I am raving about emerald fennel. So you may know Emerald Fennel. She was an actress, probably most famous for her roles in The Crown and Barbie. But she was also the writer and director of the very controversial late 2023 film Saltburn. I was just recently watching some interviews with her, and I think that she is a really interesting creative She was talking about her development of characters in Saltburn, which if you've seen it, you probably know are complex to say the least. (laughs) And she said that we all are in a kind of basic denial about our own character and that none of us would be able to write our characters as others see us. I think that's really true. And now that I know that that's her way of approaching characters, I think Saltburn makes a lot more sense. I think the interesting decisions that she makes about the characters that she portrays as an actress makes a lot of sense. I'm just really impressed with her. So I'm raving about Emerald Fennel. Jason, what about you? I am going to have a martini and I am going to rant about the city of Portland's treatment of the homeless. Like a lot of places, city of Portland has had an increase of homelessness, which has led to these rather massive camps being set up around public parks in the city. And the constant response on the part of the city has been to dismantle, tear down these encampments with very little being offered in terms of an alternative place for people to live. And it ends up the city just kind of plays this cruel game of whack-a-mole, tearing down these camps as new ones arise and treat the homeless as the problem rather than homelessness mm. as the problem, as if the main issue is the eyesore of people camping in public spaces and not the fact that people cannot afford to live in this city anymore. Mm. Rick, what about you? I am going to have a Goose Island Christmas ale, supporting my local brewery, Goose Island, call us. And this week I am raving about the Muppets Christmas Carol. My favorite adaptation of A Christmas Carol was, I think it's 1934 or something like that. But The Muppets Christmas Carol is actually a really good adaptation. (laughs) It's really funny and there's some great music in it. So A Muppets Christmas Carol. Jason, so we're talking about heroes today. I know I'm your hero, but other (laughs) than that, what are we going to talk about? Yeah, well, I started thinking about this when Antonio Negri died in December And it might be awkward or embarrassing to admit this, but I consider Negri to be a political and intellectual hero, someone I admire for his convictions and dedication to the cause of subversion and liberation, as he would often put it, as much for his writing and thinking. And what makes this seem embarrassing is that it calls someone a hero would seem to surrender any critical relationship, to lapse into a kind of 
idealization or idolization of a person. Yet at the same time, to dispense with heroes entirely would risk giving up on having a model of humanity to emulate, as Spinoza put it, giving up on striving to be better. So in some sense, heroes can't live with them, can't really live without them. And can one even have a hero anymore? As Hegel famously said, we discussed this last season, no man is a hero to his valet, to which Hegel added, not because the first man's not a hero, but because the second man is a valet. Yeah. For Hegel, valets know too much about the particularity, private and petty nature of the person they serve. And we live in an era of the generalization of the valet function through social media. We know too much about nearly everyone to see anyone as anything other than a flawed specimen of humanity. Are we losing something and losing the necessary distance that it makes it possible to idolize someone? Or was Tina Turner right? We don't need another hero. (laughs) So, Jason, in a previous season, when your predecessor was our co-host, Charles Peterson, we actually did record an episode on superheroes. What is different about what you want to talk about today than what we talked about in our episode on superheroes. Yeah, I'm not even sure if hero is the right word, but I had trouble coming up with another one. Maybe idol in some sense. I mean, I think that what I'm talking about is very much opposed to a superhero or a hero in any mythic sense. I'm talking about someone who you can look to and say, that thing that they did or that quality they possess is something I wish or I would strive to possess in myself. You know, it's sort of like, as the bumper sticker says, what would blank do? Mm. You want to put that person in the place of the blank (laughs) and ask yourself, what would they do and try and do something similar? So whereas I find things like superheroes to be utterly unemulatable precisely because they have powers and they're confronted with situations I would never be confronted with, I'm thinking of someone that I looked to and said, yeah, I would like to be able to possess that quality, that dedication, that sense of justice, integrity, whatever the quality might be, it's the quality that I want to emulate. Since you said that maybe the right word is idol, I've been thinking about what might be the difference between a hero and an idol. At least in my mind, idolization has something to do with worship. And that would seem to disengage the critical function or critical responsibility one might have if I simply worship them. Then Mm -hmm. I think they can do no wrong, everything's cool. But I like the way you put it, that a hero, especially and maybe only one that is not a superhero, provides a kind of path, maybe a platonic ideal that we're all striving to be like even if we fall short. And here I think Tony Negri, for some people, could be such an ideal. You know, it's not that you're going to read everything he writes and say, this is the greatest thing ever. I can't think of anything better than this. But you're going to say there's something about the scholarly commitment, style of writing, maybe, and as you put it, the activist commitment that I think everyone, not just me, but I think everyone ought to emulate. And that's different, it seems to me, than idolizing someone. I'm also wondering what the relationship between whatever quality that person has and the way they have it 
is related. So, for example, I could say, you know, I want to be a person committed to justice or I want to be an honest person or I want to be a person with integrity or I want to be brave or whatever. But that's different than saying I want to be brave like this person is brave. Mm -hmm. It reminds me, of course, a lot of the way that Aristotle talks about the phronimon, the person with a virtue but a practical knowledge of that virtue that has become a habit in such a way that it's a part of their character. And that goes back to what you're saying, Jason, is it's not just that I want to emulate this person's actions or even maybe this person's qualities of character, but the way they have those qualities of character. Yeah. I mean, I think part of the issue for me is about this relationship between the particular and the universal, really. We're talking about a person because they possess or actualize or express qualities like, you know, integrity, political commitment, etc. And they embody those. But for me, it's also a question of like, needing the particular instance to even have a sense of what those generic qualities are. This is why I feel like you can't really quite dispense with the person. You can't say like, oh, wouldn't it be better since people are always going to be flawed, they're always going to fail you on some level, wouldn't it be better just to idolize the qualities themselves without a person to fill in the blank for that. But that seems difficult to do because these qualities, I guess I'm a little more nominalist about it, they seem to only exist in their particular instantiation. I was going to agree with you until that last sentence, but I don't want to bog this down into metaphysics. But I, I oh, think go ahead. Oh, he does. He totally does. <laughs> I said nominalism. I, I went there. So you're speaking my love language. He <laughs> just teed it up for him. <laughs> also, as soon as Lee said the Fronimon, now all of a sudden a character comes into my mind. Marvel presents the Fronimon. But I think your point about instantiation is really important. You could define what honesty is, and we could talk about why it's a virtue and so on, but none of that ever shows me that it's possible. Or I should say, none of that shows me that it's possible for me. That is, can a being like me, given that I'm flawed, given that I'm finite, given that I have relationships with humans and animals and my environment— is it possible that I could always be honest or brave or just? And so without someone out there doing it and not doing it in a half-assed way, but doing it in an exemplary way, I think I would never know that I should actually strive for this because it is possible for someone like me. That's something different than, I think, the metaphysical claim you made, namely that mm -hmm. the virtue exists only in the instantiation. I like that formulation, Rick, because it does really kind of highlight the difference between the superhero and the hero. The real life hero, let's say, has to be flawed. They have to be real. And that's the only way that we would think that we could emulate them. Mm. We would desire to emulate them. Exactly. Yeah, I mean, I guess when I said the metaphysical claim, to me, the instantiation gives particular coordinates to imagine the action. Like, to go back to the Negri example, I mean, one of the things I admire about Negri is during the heyday of his career into the 70s, he was getting up early in the morning and spending part of the morning outside factory gates 
talking to the workers before he would then go in and prep his lectures or whatever. You know, like this ability to incorporate his political organizing as part of his life on a daily basis, you know, often Mm. fruitlessly. Like sometimes workers weren't interested in talking to him. He would just show up there every day and put in the work. I mean, you know, even though there's not a fiat factory anywhere near me, (laughs) that is a kind of commitment I can imagine doing, like trying to incorporate some kind of political organizing, trying to talk to people outside of the classroom, outside of academia. Those are ideals I can envision because I can draw these connections between the particularities of his situation and the particularities of my situation, whereas other sorts of actions are just unimaginable for me because they don't seem to relate at all. You know, like, I would like to think that if I got bit by a radioactive spider, I would use my powers for good, but that's so distant (laughs) from anything I've ever seen. I mean, I got bit by a spider once. It just kind of swole up and itched for a while. (laughs) It's so difficult for me to imagine that. It's just impossible. Itchy man. Not a great superhero. (laughs) So did you ever meet Negri? I'm asking that because there's this folk wisdom that we should never meet our heroes. Mm. Yeah, I met him once briefly and emailed him a couple times. He was always very nice. He did not prove that not meeting our heroes. But I mentioned this. I think there is some kind of distance necessary for the person to be considered kind of a hero. Like thinking about Negri, I admire in many ways his co-author and one-time guest on this show, Michael Hart. But Michael Hart crashed on my couch once. Like, I went and got (laughs) blizzards with Michael Hart once. It's just, I admire him, but I think of him too much as a person for me to sort of, like, there's no pedestal there. Mm. I really admire the guy and think his work is interesting and think his commitment to what he's doing is interesting in the way I admire so many people. But there's a certain lack of that distance that seems necessary for me to think of the person as a hero. I mean, even though I'm talking about this in terms of like a, a real life and bring it down to life, there still is a little bit of a mythologization around the person. A slight pedestal, like a two-step pedestal. Not like a huge pedestal, but like a couple <laughs> steps you got to get on to. Does fame have anything to do with that pedestal or are those independent questions? I'm asking because it's kind of a trope in some movies and maybe a lot of sitcoms where there's a children and parents and sorry, not a children. (laughs) There's children (laughs) and a parent involved. It's usually about a hero and the hero fails them and so on. And then the moral of the story is, mom, you're my hero. You Mm -hmm. know, it's a sad, maudlin, mawkish moment. I'm not sure that in the case of Negri, what is responsible for Negri being on a pedestal? Is it the fame or is it the fact that he lived across an ocean from you? Yeah, I think the fame, I mean, the fame is necessary, at least in the sense of a reputation which precedes one, right? Mm. When you see someone you've heard about and read about and talked about, it's a little bit like meeting a famous person who you've seen on the screen in movies and TV. It seems like someone has stepped from one reality into another reality, right? They Mm. seem like they don't really belong in everyday reality that we possess. So I remember very vividly the one time I met Negri. I'm sorry to make this so much about this, but the one time I met Negri, he was standing in front of me getting coffee. At this conference in Canada I was at, I didn't know it was him, and he turns around, it's him, and I, like, didn't know what to say because suddenly he was standing right there. Did you say I love you? No. (laughs) (laughs) I knew he was there, going to be there, and I went to the conference in some sense because of that, but there was a certain sense when you saw him, it was like seeing something 
from one world stepping into another world. God, this is mm-hmm. going to be so embarrassing for me. <laughs> This episode comes out. (laughs) Well, the interesting thing about that is that part of the hero being a hero is that you don't want to embarrass yourself in front of them or be an embarrassment in front of them. And so if they're a hero because of their scholarship and their intellect, then you don't want to like come off as a dumbass or better not to say anything at all. And so in a way, the hero being such a model or an exemplar could be when you meet them personally, kind of stymieing, right. if that's a word. I think that we're slipping back into the idol here. And <laughs> mm. I want to take a slightly different Tack. So when people say never meet your heroes in just conventional wisdom, what they mean by that is because you're going to find out that they're flawed. Right. right. That seems to me to be the distinction between a hero and a superhero or a hero and an idol. I thought that we were all working on the understanding that what makes a real life hero a hero or a real life hero is that We know that they're human. We know that they're flawed. We can put them in the blank of what would blank do and take that as a model for our own actions. So I don't really like the word hero, but before this episode, I was trying to think, who would I call my heroes? And the two that came immediately to mind were my grandfather and Jacques Derrida. Mm -hmm. The reason that my grandfather is a hero, there are many reasons, obviously, But one of the reasons is because he was a real person that I knew very, very well. And I would absolutely put in that, you know, what would blank do blank. So in that sense, it was the realness of his virtue or character or whatever that made him a hero to me and why he continues to be a hero to me. I think Derrida was an idol for me until I actually met him. And I think when I actually met him or the few times that I met him, I thought, this is a real person. And there are these weird quirks and flaws that I can see in him up close that I couldn't see when I was reading his books or studying him in grad seminars or whatever. And now he seems more like a hero to me than like an idol. Mm -hmm. So I'm not sure that, Jason, your insistence on the distance or the pedestal really registers with me. That Hmm. that seems to slip back into idolization. Yeah, I guess by the pedestal, I mean, I guess partly what I mean is an ability to abstract out of the person some quality that you think is admirable, even if you recognize that the person is not just reducible to that category, right? When I think of the Negri example, I mean, the ability to stand up to the level of state persecution, to being arrested, the ability to stand up and to hold one's ground theoretically and politically, while one is in prison, while one is being chastised and demonized and so on, is something that I can't help but admire, even if I don't always agree with everything he says or writes or, I mean, I don't know how good of a father he was or how good of a partner in other aspects of his life. Like, I would still admire that even if I found out that in all these other aspects there were flaws and so on. And pedestals may not be the best way to put it, but to both see the person for their ability to personify certain traits, but also recognize it's the trait you admire and not the entirety of the person. 
person. Okay, so now I think that we are actually disagreeing. And it was because of something that you kind of buried in that explanation, which is that you don't know what kind of a father he was or what kind of a partner he was. And I want to put forward a different interpretation of the never meet your heroes adage. So if you found out that, okay, it's terrible because I'm going to use this example. And of course, I assume this was not true of Negri, but like if he were a wife beater or, you know, child abuser, that would make him not a hero. And despite whatever else good he does, that would make him not a hero. And so I do think that there are ways that, you know, by meeting your heroes and finding out there are these really terrible things about them, that it breaks this idea that the person the real life person is in fact a hero for you. Mm. Whereas, you know, if somebody crashes on my couch or goes and gets blizzards with me, like that's just a normal human thing. That doesn't make somebody not a hero. It's totally fine to know that people are flawed. Or if somebody, I don't know, smokes or drinks a little too much or, you know, admires, (laughs) I don't know, Matt Damon films or like things that I think are just matters of bad taste or whatever. (laughs) That's not going to make them not a hero for me. So I really am now thinking that when we talk about real life heroes, it is actually the whole person. It's that there is somebody who not only has particular virtues that I admire, but as a whole person is someone that is virtuous. Mm-hmm. But I wonder, Lee, if that goes all the way down. So I could imagine I have a hero. And let's say also as someone who I think is an intellectual hero, they're a hero of mine in terms of the way they pursue their philosophy, and a hero also in terms of being what I think is probably a generally moral person. If I found out that that person is consistently and maybe pathologically half an hour late for everything, I don't know that they would no longer be my hero. Yeah, right. But if you found out they were a Nazi... Yes, exactly. Exactly. (laughs) So, I mean, I guess what I'm saying is that I think there is a level of moral failure that would have to come before I would say, oh, I'm so disappointed that person was my hero, and now I realize they're just... A bad person. Yeah. And I think you gave two of them, or now three, the Nazi, of course. Did you know that Hotel Bar Podcast is more than just a podcast? We are a fully online, cross-brand, synergy platform of content creation. Actually, that's not true. Those words are meaningless. But you can follow us on the app formerly known as Twitter at Hotel Bar Podcast. There you can find the handles of all the co-hosts as well. You can follow us all or pick your favorite. If by the time you hear this, Elon Musk has burned down the servers to collect the insurance, you can also find us on Facebook or YouTube. Just look for Hotel Bar Sessions. Wherever you find us on social media, you can contact us with ideas, complaints, and questions. You can also email us anytime at hotelbarpodcast at gmail.com or visit our interactive page at hotelbarpodcast.com. No matter how you get in contact with us, we're always glad to hear from you. I remember being at a conference once with maybe a similar situation to what Jason described, a relatively famous person 
who, I don't know if they were such a hero for me, but they were close to being a hero for me. And then all night in the bar, they were making out with a person who was half their age, all the while being married. And I came to find out that their then spouse was not happy with you know, it wasn't an arranged situation. They didn't have an open relationship. And I got to say, that really let me down in kind of the ways Lee was talking about. But that made me think, Jason, in your introduction, you mentioned, you know, the bar is pretty expansive these days. I mean, the bar in the sense of like, we're in the hotel bar, and what counts as meeting someone out there in public, given social media and so on, like, I know a shit ton about people that, frankly, I wish I didn't know. You know, some people who may have been heroes of mine. So I guess really the short way of asking what I'm trying to ask is, isn't the age of heroes over? Like, isn't this so 20th century? <laughs> or as students call it, the 1900s. Yeah. To make it seem even more distant. <laughs> yeah, I mean, think of social media as having this generalized valet function where everyone can see the side of the person that might otherwise be hidden behind closed doors and it makes it difficult to emulate someone and I'm not just talking here about, like, as Lee was talking about, there are obviously some things that if someone did them, there'd be nothing admirable about them. In some sense, it'd be the opposite. Even their admirable qualities would seem negative if you learn the person was such a horrible human being. It would all be a deception of some sort, right? I guess I'm thinking more of just general TMI stuff where it's not mm. necessarily something that's horrible. To think of an example, I mean, I don't think of Bob Odenkirk as a hero at all. He's someone who I do like his performance in Better Call Saul and some of his comedy as well. And I remember one day it became very public that he followed a foot fetish account on Twitter. Like, all the world could see that Bob Odenkirk followed a foot fetish account. And I have no problem with that. <laughs> like, you know, whatever people are into between consenting adults, I have no problem. We're not with, here to kink shame anyone. Yes, exactly. <laughs> but at the same time, it's like, I don't know if I need to know that. Like, <laughs> you know, I would rather have the partial image that I have of the person as someone who, at least as a performer, maybe not as a person, I have some level of admiration for. And I feel like that anecdote is kind of happening again and again and again, where you just know too much. And I don't necessarily want to know that much about people who their primary function for me in my life is not as people I know. They're not friends. They're just people who I see at a distance. So I don't really mind knowing more than I need to know. I think for at least partly some of the reasons that you just exemplified there, Jason, you know, I mean, you found out that Bob Odenkirk has a foot fetish. Does it matter to you? Does it make you admire him any less? Not really. You know, it's just something that maybe you didn't need to know or could possibly wish you didn't know or whatever. But again, if you found out that he was a serial abuser or something like that, you know, like we're still in what unfortunately gets called cancel culture. But one of the good things about cancel culture is that it does show that a lot of our heroes are in fact not heroes. They're terrible people. And that image of them as heroic should be broken. Let me give you another example of the ways 
social media functions to illustrate this point that Hegel was making about the relationship between the hero and the valet, which I do think is an important one. So the relationship between the hero and the valet is, of course, that the hero requires the valet's recognition of the hero as hero. So in Hegel's formulation, the consciousness of the slave is the truth of the consciousness of the master. I think that we see this on TikTok. I know you guys aren't on TikTok, so you're just going to have to trust me. But there is this subgenre of TikTok videos where people will go out and just hand out cash to unhoused people or hand out meals or whatever to unhoused people. And it's been revealed that a lot of them only do this so that they can get the TikTok fame, right? So here, Mm -hmm. the heroism of the hero is dependent on the recognition of his followers, the people heroizing him or her. So that to me seems to be illustrative of Hegel's point. The hero is not a hero. Wait, what is it? Sorry. The hero is, wait. (laughs) No man is a hero to his valet. No, No man is a hero to his valet, not because the hero is not a hero, but because the valet is a valet. Now there, I would just tweak it a little bit to say, it's not because these people are not doing good things, but it's because they're doing them only for the recognition of people mm. who will recognize them as a hero. That seems to me to be the point and illustrate the point I think you were trying to make in the opening. We all seem to be in this valet function where social media kind of encourages us to heroize people, sure. just admire people from afar and that there are a lot of heroes out there who, yeah, maybe they're doing good things, but they're only doing them for the recognition of their followers. Right. Yeah. I'm glad you brought up the, the social media function because I feel like there is this you know wave where someone gets idolized briefly on social media and then there's the moment where they get torn down after, like suddenly you find out more about them the Ken Bone version of things. Not too long ago, there was this video that went viral of this guy. It's some kind of right-wing man-on-the-street interview. They ask him to choose between economic stability, whatever that means, and LGBTQ rights. And he says, I refuse the question. Like, why not both? Mm -hmm. And they say, you have to pick. And he says, I refuse the question, right? And the guy kind of became a meme. He's got a ponytail. He's got a Bluetooth. He looks like an IT guy. (laughs) Like, I saw that and I thought to myself, yeah, more people should refuse the question sometimes. You know, and this happened after the horrible performance by these university presidents in front of Congress. Like, they handled it poorly because they did not refuse the terms of the question. And so... I admire being able to say, I refuse the terms of this question. But at the same time, when I saw this guy go viral, I'm just waiting for the other shoe to hit the floor, and we're going to find out something from his search history or something from his (laughs) Twitter account where I just, like, I don't even want to know what the thing is, but I'm sure it's coming, right? And this tendency to prop someone up and tear someone down becomes so much of the dynamic and it all happens so quickly. Yeah. I think what's lost in that dynamic is the thing that I want to admire is sometimes it makes a lot of sense to refuse the question. If someone asked me to choose between like economic prosperity and gay and lesbian rights, I would say that's a stupid as hell question (laughs) and I refuse to pick which one. (laughs) 
But in an interesting way, this brings us back to the pedestal and an important point of the no man is a hero to his valet, an aspect to that point that I think we kind of left behind. We didn't put such a fine point on it, but earlier it seemed like we all had agreed that if the hero is in some way exemplary, there is a relation between me and that hero. That relation seems to be something like admiration. I have to admire the hero, at least for certain aspects, if not as a whole. And I think, Lee, you've sort of convinced me that if someone's really a hero, it's more like the whole of them is a hero than they're a hero for being a really good, I don't know, ice cream maker. (laughs) But the rest of their life, I could care less about. But in order for me to admire someone, it seems that an awful lot has to be kept hidden from me. And I'm thinking about this in relation to politicians or the royal family of Great Britain. The reason why they keep so much secret is because, as I think it's now been documented, Prince Philip would say, the mystery is part of what we are. The mystery is what makes us the symbols we are. And if there were no mystery, then we wouldn't be able to be admired. And so for many heroes, that they're admired seems to require an awful lot going on behind the scenes. And I think the valet point is, you know, I've seen you naked, man. So like, you're not a hero to me. You're just another naked old man. Whereas if this is a duke or an earl for the commoners looking on the duke or the earl, they don't see any of this and they just see the veneer. And so they could still be admired and still provide a kind of example, even if they're rat bastards in their life. I think what I was trying to point out earlier is that what makes someone a hero to me, I agree with you, Rick, is that I admire them. But they cease being a hero if they require my admiration. Mm -hmm. Then our relationship is that of master and slave. Then we're back to the hero and valet point. Agreed. And I think, honestly, like if I'm talking about my real life heroes, if I found out through whatever means, right, that they only did the things that I found admirable or that I wanted to imitate, that they only did those things for my admiration then I would cease thinking of them as a hero. Mm-hmm. I've been thinking of a slightly different case, and it's hard for me to use him as an example because he was never a hero for me. But I've been hearing lately a lot of discussion about Elon Musk, and some people are saying he's brilliant. Look what he did in SpaceX and Tesla. You know, he basically got the electric car market on its feet and made it a real thing. SpaceX is an amazing thing. All that's fine. He's just a disaster on and with Twitter. Mm -hmm. But otherwise, he's admirable and maybe even a hero. And something Jason said as a sort of toss away has been in the back of my mind, because I find him so reprehensible, 
I am now actively seeking out ways to show that SpaceX and Tesla, he's not the hero behind those. And that, in fact, he's even a rat bastard in those situations. I think with Tesla, it's relatively simple. I think he did not come up with the idea of an electric car. He bought an electric car company. He brought a lot of engineers from other companies and he treats his employees horribly. And so there he's a rat bastard. SpaceX, it seems pretty clear he's not a rocket scientist. And I don't think someone's a hero just because they have a lot of money. But because I find him reprehensible, I now go actively seeking to deny any admirable quality the man might have. You know, talking about embarrassing admissions, I did admire Elon Musk for many, many years. I now do not for exactly this reason. I find him reprehensible. And I think that his fame and in particular Twitter ruined him. I think that he became exactly the kind of hero that I was describing before, namely the hero that did things for admiration. I think this was Mm -hmm. so evident in that very famous interview from late last year where he says, basically, advertisers can go fuck themselves because you can't threaten me with money. And then when the interviewer asks him the follow-up question, he says, well, they'll have to say it to Earth. Let them tell that to Earth. And I think this man really believes that like the Earth admires him. And I think at that point, he's stopped being a hero. Well, since Hegel is part of the conversation here, what I find interesting is that Musk has disproven a fundamental part of Hegel's philosophy. Hegel thinks that we strive for recognition from people we can recognize in return, right? We don't want to be a hero to our valet. We want to be a hero to the other heroes, the other great people of history. But what I find very striking, and you find this in Musk, you find this in Trump too, is people who seem to get great satisfaction from appealing to some of the most craven, reprehensible people on there. I mean, what Musk has done with Twitter has shown that he'd much rather get the admiration of a bunch of people who are on the site too much of the time and don't have anything else to show for their lives than he would to even run the company like a successful company. When he says, fuck them to all the advertisers that are pulling out of the site because they don't want to be sandwiched between a Nazi and a porn bot, you know, (laughs) he is really showing that he doesn't care about how the company functions and he'd much rather please cat turd 666 and get the admiration of that. And, you know, I think one of the things... Hegel got wrong is how much people really enjoy the admiration of people they could never admire in return. I think Trump, too. Trump spends his entire career being in front of crowds of people he would turn away from his own casinos or establishments. But as long as they're in the crowd cheering and drooling over him, they're exactly who he wants to be seen around. Yeah. By the way, Between a Porn Bot and a Nazi is the title of my autobiography. (laughs) (laughs) here at the hotel bar rick jason and i like to pour philosophy straight into your ears we're an independent and ad-free podcast and we'd like to keep it that way but the only way we can do that is with listener support you can help us defray some of our production costs by signing up to support us on patreon at patreon.com backslash hotel bar sessions 
There are several levels of monthly donations there that you can sign up for, and every one of them helps us keep raising our glasses to deep conversations. If you'd prefer to make a one-time donation or several one-time donations, just visit our website at hotelbarpodcast.com where you can find links to support the podcast through Venmo, PayPal, or Cash App, and you can keep enjoying our tipsy philosophy and sobering insights. So we were talking about whether or not the hero that we're mentioning here is a 20th century phenomenon. Maybe social media has made it impossible and made everyone a valet to everyone. And I guess the question is, should we embrace that? Should we be more realistic about human beings and recognize that we're all deeply flawed in all sorts of ways and put away heroes when we put away superheroes as a childish thing to no longer believe in as adults. I think Charles Peterson's going to come after you for adding superheroes <laughs> into that. <laughs> I want to say that I don't think having heroes, real life heroes, is childish. But I also don't think that having heroes requires not looking at their flaws. Mm. One of the things that worries me about the term heroes, again, is that it too quickly elides into idols mm -hmm. or superheroes. And so I do think that the hashtag no heroes is a good hashtag to have <laughs> just mm. because if what a hero is requires that you find a person who you believe has no flaws, then yeah, you shouldn't have heroes. That's childish and that is idolization and I don't think we should do that. But if you can come on board with me and say, no, heroes are whole people, real people with real flaws, but none of those flaws are deal breakers, mm -hmm. then I don't think that's childish. I think we need models to emulate. It's inspiring. It's motivating to have people that you look up to and that push you to be a better version of yourself with your own flaws and with your own real life problems. Mm. I have a perhaps interesting example. So the philosopher Richard Bernstein was one of my teachers. He was a really great teacher, and I looked up to him and admired him. He had an incredible ability to take complex ideas and jargon and talk about them in very straightforward and clear ways without losing nuance. He was also committed to his students all the time and incredibly supportive of them, beginning in the Vietnam War and going all the way until he died. And so he was really a hero of mine. At his memorial, published in a special issue of Dewey Studies, Lucius Outlaw gave an address in which he talked about his long friendship with Dick Bernstein, how they talked about a lot of things. You know, they talked about family and they were very close. Outlaw never once said this to Dick, but he's now starting to see that Bernstein almost never refers to an author of color in his entire corpus that he talks about issues of race and colonialism, 
but rarely cites these authors. And Outlaw was basically saying there was this blindness in Bernstein. And I have to say that I was not at the memorial, but once I read Outlaw's essay, he knocked Bernstein off a pedestal for me. That is, for a while, he was no longer a hero of mine until I could decide, and I think this gets to the heart of what you're talking about, Lee, until I could decide whether this was a flaw, that it was impossible for me to admire him having this flaw. And the reason I was able to kind of get past it, and so Bernstein still is a hero for me, is because I could think of the conversation he and Lucius Outlaw would have had if Outlaw had brought this up when Bernstein was alive. Mm -hmm. Now, by the way, still in the back of my mind lingers the worry, well, there must be a reason why Outlaw didn't bring this up while Bernstein was alive, and I want to know why that isn't the case. But there was a moment where here was a hero, and I had to reckon with what was a flaw and decide whether this person is still heroic for me or not. Mm -hmm. And I think having him as a hero was not childish for a number of reasons. One is he is a model for me as a teacher, even though I fail in ways that he didn't fail. And he was a model for me in striving for clarity, although I fail also to write as clearly, speak as clearly as he did. And so I don't think that was childish to have him out there as a model and to say, I don't know if I'm ever going to reach that. You have, and I'm going to try. And I think that's what a hero is to me. I may have told this story before on the podcast, so forgive me if I'm repeating it. But as I mentioned before, one of my heroes was my grandfather, my late grandfather, Mac Johnson. And I frequently use this story to sort of illustrate why he is one of my heroes. So when I was very young, like I'm talking about five years old or so, my grandfather had to go to the store to pick up something for my grandmother, and I went with him. And while we were in the store and he was picking up whatever it was, I found this little play plastic fishing pole that I wanted, really wanted it. And I said, can I have this? And my grandfather said, well, maybe we can get it later. And I was like, oh, but I need it. And, you know, he's like, okay, bring it on up. And so when we got to the counter, because this is before the time when people were using debit cards or credit cards or whatever, he realized that he only had enough cash to get what he actually came to the store for. And under normal circumstances, people would say, okay, well, we'll get it later. You don't need it or whatever. But my grandfather said, hold on a second. Somebody in this store owes me money. And he walked around the store and, of course, found someone that owed him a few dollars and got it back and I got the toy. Now, the point here is not that I got the toy. The point is, think about the kind of life that you have to lead, where you can be so confident that when you find yourself in a spot, that you're going to be in a place where you've helped somebody else out before and they're going to be there and yeah. be ready to repay the debt. That seems to me an example of a whole person whose life is one that I want to emulate. I want to be the kind of person who's paying things forward enough that if somebody wants or needs something for me and I can't do it right then, that I can 
look around and find someone who will help me do that. Mm. That, I think, is not to say that my grandfather didn't have flaws. Of course he did. Mm -hmm. He was a real human being. And it's not also to put him up on a pedestal. That's, I think, a real achievable goal to set for my own life. But I do think that, to me, it's an example of what a hero is that's not an idol, but is also somebody who, whatever flaws they have, are not deal-breaker flaws. I mean, one of the things I'm thinking about here is how sometimes, I guess I just don't want to be a valet. (laughs) You know, like, there are times when I really just would rather have the person be the person I admire for particular things and not be the person who I know what their unadmirable qualities are. Like I was in the security line at Heathrow Airport right in front of Donald Glover. Mm. At the time, I was a big fan of Community, the TV show he was on for a while. And and I'm not someone who would ever approach a celebrity, but we were in the security line. It wasn't like he was having dinner someplace. And I spent the whole time we were in line contemplating turning around and saying to him, like, hey, you know, I'm a really big fan of this and that. I couldn't do it. And part of me, I realized afterwards, is like, I didn't really want to know whether or not he was going to be a nice person to me mm. because I wanted to continue to enjoy his comedy and his music. Mm. And that's all I really wanted. The fact that he was there as a person yeah. just didn't really fit into the role he played in my life. Now, he's not really a hero, someone I enjoyed their productions. So it wasn't a big thing, but part of me feels like I know what I know about the person and what I think is useful to know about the person and everything else, I don't really care. Hmm. But I wonder, Jason, hearing that, if the issue with social media is not so much that we now know too much about people who used to be heroes, but that we heroicize people just because they're famous. Mm-hmm. All sorts of people can be famous. I mean, for God's sakes, Elon Musk is famous. And by the way, a rave within the podcast, a recent episode of This Week with John Oliver last week was about Elon Musk. And one thing I didn't know is that one of Elon's tweets is, I put the art in fart. <laughs> yep. <laughs> All right. For that alone, the man is not my hero. Well, your bar for deal breakers is really low because I feel like I've 100% made jokes that bad around you. (laughs) But I'm also not speaking to Earth. Yeah, you're not speaking to Earth. Yeah. And you're not trying to get cat turd 666 to admire you. But it's so easy today to confuse being a hero with being famous and I feel like younger people in particular find a lot of people who are famous to be heroes or they say they're heroes. And then I think it's so easy to become disillusioned by your heroes because you don't really even admire them for anything in particular except for being famous. Mm -hmm. Uh, I don't uh, you guys are not going to like what I'm about to say, but I don't know that we can decide what other people want to emulate or not. I don't Mm. know that that's a community decision, what is heroic and what isn't. I mean, just going back to the example that Jason gave us right at the top of the episode, what would blank do? There are lots of reasons to put a name in the blank spot. And for the three of us, maybe it has to do with moral qualities or virtues. But for other people, maybe it's 
that they're famous. Maybe it's that they figured out how to make a lot of money. Maybe it's that they figured out how to gather power to themselves or assert authority over other people or whatever. I'm not sure that that doesn't make their heroes heroes. It makes them not my heroes. But, you know, if somebody wants to be famous, then yeah, I mean, why not? But fame is a really weird thing to admire someone for. I mean, it's... For you, it is. But no, I think in general, because there's such a tautology at the heart of fame, there's a sense in like the only way to be famous is to be famous, or like you're admiring someone for the act of being admired itself, there's nothing really to emulate there. Mm. I mean, what would a famous person do? They would be famous. Well, that's (laughs) like, how do you... Get there. But I think fame and admiration are not the same thing. I mean, there are a billion how-tos on TikTok, on Twitter, on Facebook, on YouTube about how to get more followers, how to get more likes, how to get more retweets, which are basically how to be famous. And, you know, for a lot of people, fame is not just to be famous. It's to monetize that fame. So again, I mean, I get it that maybe for the three of us, fame is tautological, but I don't think that it doesn't make sense for someone to heroize somebody just for being famous. Well, at the risk of opening on to an entire podcast in and of itself, (laughs) Lee, are you saying that we can't discuss as philosophers whether something is a virtue or not? No, we can. I'm saying that people can have heroes And what is being heroized has nothing to do with the hero being virtuous. I can't decide for everyone that what constitutes a hero is defined by their virtues. It might not be. It might be defined by their skills. And knowing how to be famous, knowing how to make money, knowing how to accrue power are skills. I don't think they're virtues, but they are things that people might want to emulate. Fair enough. And already at the beginning, when Jason said, Tony Negri is one of my heroes, none of us said, no way he's not. That can't be true. (laughs) Right. I mean, we could say, you know, he's not really a hero for me. I like the guy and, you know, whatever, but I wouldn't, he's not my hero. And so there is something quite peculiar about a hero. And so just like when I say I don't like mushrooms, you're not going to convince me why. If I say X is my hero, the reason in the end is because they're my hero. I get that. My only point was that if someone is your hero on the basis of fame, the risk of being disillusioned is really, really great. And I think it's no more or less than if somebody is your hero on the basis of virtue. The risk of being disillusioned is very, very great. But doesn't that go back to what you said earlier about the TikTokers who just want to be seen as generous? Like, fame is all about the aspiring to an appearance of something, not an aspiring necessarily to the reality of something. The problem with the TikTokers who are handing out money, as you pointed out, is that they just wanted the appearance of virtue, not the actual virtue itself. Right. But what they wanted was fame. And the appearance of virtue gets them fame. But it also sets them up for infamy. But that's still fame. I mean, like, okay, I'm, I'm being back I into arguing disagree, a point Socrates. that I don't really want to argue. <laughs> I do feel like I'm being a sophist here, fair enough. But let me get back to the point I was trying to make, which was that I don't think we can decide that what makes a hero a hero is defined by virtue. 
I think that there are many other ways that people could define their heroes or recognize their heroes or hero size that don't have anything to do with virtue. I think we would say that those are not real heroes, but I don't think that we can say that for everyone. Right. I agree with the point, as Rick put it, you can't argue when that someone likes mushrooms. You can't argue when that someone likes Musk <laughs> on that level. Or Hitler. Yes. <laughs> now I'm not so sure. <laughs> well, I mean, you can argue with it, but if somebody heroizes Hitler... They are clearly using different criteria for determining heroes than you're using. But that doesn't mean that Hitler is not a hero for that person. It means Hitler is not a hero for you. Yes. (laughs) Can I just say, I saw a rerun of this show with Rachel Maddow and Chris Hayes. Rachel Maddow has this new book out about fascism in the U.S., going back to the interwar period. And she found out that Hitler had a picture of Henry Ford on his wall. And Mm. Rachel Maddow said, you know, I used to think that the worst thing in the world to find out about someone was that they had a picture of Hitler on their wall. But now I think it's that you find out Hitler had a picture (laughs) of them on his wall. Having heroes in your life, if it's not going to be childish, should be on the basis of something like an assessment of a whole person Mm. and their virtues and what they contribute to society and all of those sorts of things. I personally think, and I think you agree, that if you're heroizing people because they're famous or because they find ways of gaming a system or accruing power or, I don't know, making money or whatever, that those are childish reasons to heroize someone. I would say even immoral reasons to heroize someone. But I don't think that we can say that they're not heroes. Mm -hmm. We can say that they're not heroes to us. But we can't say that someone has, for example, made a category mistake in calling their hero a hero. Right. So to put it in philosophical language, we could say that they ought not be heroes, but we can't say they are not heroes. To the person that's To the person for whom they're heroes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I agree with that. Yeah, I have to admit, you've got me to come around on this whole person <laughs> version, or at least a version where the flaws become not detractions, but integral to the picture. Although, like, I'm not someone who reads biographies of people that I like. There's just a sense in which if I admire the person's music, their writing, whatever the case may be, to me, that's sort of enough and I don't necessarily need to see how the sausage is made to enjoy. Why am I? This is, I'm like, I've been like a vegetarian for like most of my life. But anyways, to enjoy the sausage, but still. There's vegetarian sausage and it's also not pretty. You really don't want to see how that's made. <laughs> yeah. The only people that you would call hero are people who you are thinking about more in terms of their whole person. You might not know everything about them. There might be some things you don't want to know about them. And if you did know about them, would make them cease being a hero for you. Yeah, of course, we can admire people for particular qualities or skills that they have. But I do think that the hero thing is a whole person kind of thing. Well, I heroize our bartender. (laughs) Same. (laughs) Unfortunately, she has declared us all to be valets, and therefore we should get the hell out of here. But suddenly this whole ad popped in my mind about merchandise we have available (laughs) 
But smash that like button before you go. (laughs) Jason, before we get out of here, I want to say I feel like I've been particularly difficult. And this was such a great topic. And I really do appreciate you picking it because just the phrase real life heroes is something that I've probably said a kajillion times in my life and never really thought about. This is the first time I've really thought about the difference between heroes and superheroes, heroes and idols, heroes and people who I kind of admire. And yeah, this is just another really great example of the way that sitting down with two philosophers at a bar and having a conversation about something just regular is really, really helpful. Agreed. Yeah, this topic did not begin with a fully formed thesis statement. It began with a vague sense of something. And I thought that maybe in talking about it with you two, the vague sentence would become something a little more clarified. And it definitely did. So thanks a lot. All right, guys, I will catch you in the next episode then. Later. (laughs) 